0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, I'm back in the studio from the uh, Duck Dynasty studio up in North Louisiana. But today we're looking at President Biden and communist dictator Xi Jinping. They met virtually yesterday evening. As I've said before, it seems to me our responsibility as leaders of China and the United States is to ensure that the competition between our countries does not veer into conflict, whether intended or unintended. Oh, what does that mean, and what do we know about the substance of their meeting? We'll talk with Florida Congressman Greg Stuby, a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. I've talked about this before on the program. One lawmaker in the state of Oklahoma is doing something about it. If employers are forcing their employees to get the COVID shots, the employers should be responsible for any adverse consequences. We'll talk about it with Oklahoma State Senator Rob Standrich later here on Washington Watch. And yesterday, RNC Chair Ronna McDaniel tried to calm members of the Republican National Committee faced with the fallout from her surprise announcement of an RNC Pride coalition. The decision to put those on the payroll who want to pursue policies that run counter to the GOP platform have left many scratching their heads. Is this not moving the party in the direction that voters in Virginia just rejected? We'll get the latest inside information from Chad Conley, founder of Faith Wins, former GOP National Director of Faith Engagement and former chair of the South Carolina Republican Party. Good news for Tanner Cross, a Leesburg Elementary School teacher in Loudoun County, Virginia. The school board agreed to a settlement in Cross's lawsuit against the school for suspending him for speaking out against their pro-transgender policy that forces teachers to use pronouns for students regardless of their biological sex.
1: As I said at the school board meeting in June, I cannot lie to a child. But that is exactly what the policy requires me to do. So today we ask the court to halt this policy because it forces me to say things that are both untrue and harmful to my students.
0: We'll talk with Tyson Langhofer with Alliance Defending Freedom and Monica Gill, a teacher that has joined in Tanner's suit to actually strike down the controversial policy called 840. And speaking of education, new polling reveals how significant of an issue Education played in the Virginia governor's race. We'll take a look at the numbers with FRC's Meg Kilgannon. She'll also give us an update on where else the woke agenda is manifesting itself in public education. That's coming up here on Washington Watch. And from coast to coast, border to border, pray together for life. On Sunday evening, November the 28th at 7 p.m. Central Time, a national prayer gathering in Jackson, Mississippi, in advance of the U.S. Supreme Court hearing oral arguments in the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health organization case. This is the case that could overturn Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court decision that made made abortion legal in all 50 states. To find out how you can join the event, text the word TOGETHER to 67742. That's the word TOGETHER to 67742, and you can be a part of the event. President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping met virtually for nearly four hours yesterday and talked about a range of topics, including COVID-19, climate change, trade issues, and Taiwan. But something was apparently missing from the conversation. With me now to talk about this is Congressman Greg Stubbe. He is a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He represents the 17th Congressional District of the Sunshine State. Congressman Stubbe, welcome back to the program.
2: Yeah, thanks for having
0: me. It's good to see you. So, Greg, what's your what are your thoughts on the president's uh, virtual meeting with the Chinese uh, communist dictator?
2: Well, I mean, the first thing that sticks out to me is we've just gone and we're still going through this pandemic. I mean, here in Washington, D.C., where I sit right now, there's still mass mandates. There's we they, they just issued a vaccine mandate on businesses through OSHA. You have all these things happening yet. There's not a serious conversation about doing an investigation on the Chinese Communist Party virus that came from, uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which we know there was a, uh, investigation done by Republican members on the Foreign Affairs Committee came from the, uh, Institute of Virology there in Wuhan, China. Why aren't we pressing them if we, if the Biden administration is so concerned about this virus? Why aren't we trying to, one, investigate the origins of it so it doesn't happen again? Two, make sure there aren't U.S. taxpayer dollars going to gain a function research and all these other issues that are underlying the COVID-19 pandemic, of which, of course, weren't discussed in detail there.
0: So, Congressman, is the Biden administration, the president himself, being too deferential to the the, the Chinese Communist Party when it comes to COVID-19, when it comes to what we've seen just recently with the Chinese uh, military uh, hypersonic missiles that they're firing. That apparently was not discussed, according to the readout from the White House. Is all of this in order to pursue their top priority of climate change?
2: I think that's part of it. And the other part of it is obviously with the we all know now the facts of Hunter Biden and how much money he got from the Chinese Communist Party while uh, Joe Biden was the sitting vice president of the United States. Uh, So obviously there's a relationship there. There's a compromise there where our current administration, uh, President Biden, is not going to do anything that's going to undercut what the Chinese Communist Party is trying to do because he has a vested interest and his son still has a vested interest. In a, in a Chinese uh, Communist Party company. So I think there's a lot of things going on there. Um, back to what's happening in Taiwan, there, there's at least 40 sorties that the Chinese Communist Party has done into the airsp- airspace of Taiwan. Was there anything from the White House about... That clear, uh, offensive, direct action that the Chinese Communist Party is taking in Taiwan? Uh, no, absolutely not. These are the type of actions that show a very weak presidency as it relates to the foreign affairs going out of the Chinese Communist Party.
0: Congressman Subi, uh, let me ask you a kind of final question on that front of Taiwan. As one who's worn our nation's uniform, you were in the United States Army. You served uh, in combat Are you concerned about what may be fixing to happen with Taiwan, that we're not in a position of strength to uh, protect the uh, Taiwanese?
2: We are absolutely not in a position of strength and to and to build on that. We don't have a president in a White House and a an Department of Defense that's willing to take necessary action. One, to defer and deter Chinese Communist Party aggression in Taiwan. And if something were to happen, I don't see this administration taking a strong stance and it relates to it. And if Taiwan say were to fall to the Chinese Communist Party, the entire Pacific East. Uh, The Far East would be very, very problematic. You'd have Japan that would be very concerned about that. Australia would be very concerned about that. And they're concerned about that now. President Trump had a very strong position as it related to the Chinese Communist Party, not just on defense, but also on trade and all these other issues that you're not seeing from this White House. And it's a scary time that we're living in right now where the Chinese Communist Party Party is testing Taiwan and their military by doing all these different sorties, and our White House sits silent as it relates to the aggression coming from the Chinese Communist Party.
0: Uh, I I said that was the last question. You mentioned trade. That was apparently something that the president spent a lot of time on talking to uh, the communist dictator. And and, and in his uh, remarks about that, he said he would like to see that uh, China play by the rules of the road as it pertains to uh, trade. Do you have any anticipation that China will play by the rules of the road?
2: Absolutely not. And they don't have a history of doing it. And this administration is all talk, not action. They're going to say things like that and then behind the scenes not do anything about it. They can put tariffs on these goods. They could take a strong stand on these goods like President Trump did. And they're, they're taking a, a completely different opposite approach than the previous administration did, which is making us weak, not only in China and not only as it relates to their policy, but weak all across the world as other leaders look towards the leadership that should be coming from the White House.
0: Congressman Greg Stubbe, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Well, switching gears, folks, uh, a bill was recently, that's last Friday, introduced in the Oklahoma Senate uh, that would allow employees of government and private entities to sue their employers for up to a million dollars over health problems resulting from being forced to get the COVID shot or lose their job. It's something I've talked about here. I, I think employers that force this upon their employees should be on the hook. With me now to talk about the Citizens Health Mandate Protection Act is a lawmaker who introduced it, Oklahoma State Senator Rob Standridge. Uh, He's going to be joining us here in uh, just a second. We're connecting with him from Oklahoma. This is, uh, look, businesses want to get on the bandwagon with the Biden administration and force this mandate and do so without uh, any type of liability. This is one of those few times, actually it's becoming more frequently, that I stand with the trial lawyers. Now, historically, I've not been a big fan of the trial lawyers, but big business is off the rails, and someone's got to hold them accountable, and the best way to do it is take them to court and sue them when they force people to do something that is harmful. Join me now to talk uh, more about this, the... uh, Citizen Health Mandate Protection Act is Oklahoma State Senator Rob Standridge. Uh, Senator, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. Uh, Great to be here. All right. Tell us about your bill and why you introduced it.
1: Uh, You know, I've struggled with the uh, vaccine mandates now for uh, several months as we see this coming and you know, we've talked about here in Oklahoma about just outlawing the mandates, and that doesn't seem to get much traction. So this was, uh, I think, uh, alternative pathway that hopefully gives citizens a little peace of mind that they have recourse. Uh, uh, which I understand that's later in the process, but I'm trying. We're trying to do the best we can in the situation
0: we're in. So how is your measure being received so far? Do you have co-sponsors that have come on board?
1: Yes, we have had some, uh, certainly could use more, but, uh, yeah, and, uh, you yeah, know, we were hopeful that we'd get something done sooner than later. But I, I think, honestly, I think this bill has a, as a lot of these type of tort uh, statutes have, has a little bit of retroactivity built into it. So um, my advice to employers would be to make sure they're thorough in, in ensuring, just like the forklift, making sure things are safe before they to subject their employees
0: to it well um I, I don't know i I guess I should have looked at this uh, are you a, an attorney? Are you a trial lawyer?
1: No, no, I actually went back to law school, but i uh, currently but i am not not that yet so no
0: okay well um I, I spent time in the Louisiana legislature and normally lined up with business and we did a lot of tort reform to prevent lawsuits, yeah. but in this particular case uh, where you have big business doing the bidding of big government. The little guy has no recourse. And and I think this is exactly what we need. I, I wish every trial lawyer would get behind measures like this in states across the nation and say, all right, if you're gonna force these workers to to, uh, to get a shot, which is as you said, we don't have a big track record yet, then these employers need to be on the hook. Yeah, I agree. I mean we
1: something something's gotta give in all this process. I, I, I really by trade I'm a healthcare professional, been doing that for thirty years. And I could have never imagined a disease being politicized to the level this disease has been. And so, um, you know, something's got to give. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not necessarily saying vaccines are bad, but I, I think when it comes down from high, from the high, <laughs> from the high castle, if you will, right. uh, th- it's really dangerous, I think, for a country like ours for these, these commandments to come down.
0: I agree. I am not anti-vaccine. In fact, I encourage people to get the, uh, the COVID vaccine based upon their situation, high risk, and they need to make that decision with their health care provider. It doesn't need to be dictated, as you said, from on high in Washington, D.C. I really want to track this bill. I hope it gets traction, and uh, we'd certainly like to help you uh, promote this bill and this concept across the country. Senator, great to have you on the program today. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. Appreciate it. All right. I I do think this is one of those areas where we need the courts and we need attorneys that will be willing to sue these big businesses, like I said, that are doing the business of big government. All right. Coming up next, Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel issued an uh, apology of sorts. Apology of sorts. Really not an apology. She said the process wasn't good, but the substance, I'm sticking to it. What is it? The Pride Coalition. We're going to talk about this with chad conley former chairman of the south carolina republican party
3: are you struggling to spend consistent time in god's word then join family research council on an exciting journey through the bible frc's two-year bible reading plan helps you to approach daily bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of god and how his word speaks into cultural issues By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit FRC.org slash Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word, so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions.
4: At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a text subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text— We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. By the way, just a reminder, we're now on NRB TV. If you want to watch and not just listen to Washington Watch, you can tune in on DirecTV Channel 378 for NRB TV. All right. uh, Yesterday afternoon, Republican National Committee Chairwoman, Ronald McDonald, Daniel, um, held a short listen-only conference call with uh, RNC leaders, somewhat apologizing for the way she rolled out an RNC Pride coalition earlier this month. Uh, According to McDaniel, no one should be worried that hiring staff to advance the Pride coalition will not affect the party's policies or party platform that gives direction to the Republican Party nationwide. And uh, let me ask the question, are we supposed to believe that? Joining me now to talk about this and more, Chad Conley, founder of Faith Wins, former GOP National Director of Faith Engagement, and the former chairman of the South Carolina Republican Party. Chad, welcome to the program. Hey, Tony, how you doing, sir? Great to see you. Well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Just to give our uh, listeners, viewers uh, kind of the background on this, earlier in the month, uh, 1st of November, I think November the 6th, uh, a surprise announcement by the chair of the Republican National Committee, uh, Ronna McDaniel, said that there would be a pride coalition. Uh, this was made up of the uh, log cabin Republicans and others uh, who, quite frankly, stand for policies that are inconsistent with the party platform. The result of this has been people across the country have uh, called out to their members, their RNC state chairmen, Uh, their National Committee, men and women, men men and women. And as a result, there was a conference call yesterday. Tell us more about what is taking place at the RNC.
5: Yeah, well, Tony, uh, honored to be on here. Appreciate all you do. I'm actually in Florida on our American Restoration Tour. And so this kind of, I missed all this at the beginning, but I've had pastors all over the country calling me and asking me what is going on. And listen, as, as Christians, you and I, have our feelings about how detrimental this is, what a dangerous move it is. And let's face it, politically, just a couple weeks ago in Virginia, a lot of the extremist LGBT ideas are exactly why the Democrats lost so big in the state of Virginia. Um, And we can debate that all day long and talk about it, but it seemed like a pretty bad idea to then go enable that. But in a bigger sense, Tony, as you said, I'm a former state party chairman. I got to be the first ever national director of faith engagement and ran GOP faith. The the real thing that shocked me in this was the chair made this unilateral decision. That's 180 degrees off of the party platform without consulting the 168 members of the Republican national committee. I, I, that's astounding to me. We have this thing called a national convention every four years to discuss things like the platform. And in, in my book, The party platform is our promise to the grassroots. It's our word to the activists, the grassroots people, those Republicans in all the states uh, who work so hard between the conventions on every election. And I think what the party chair did was break her word. She broke her word to the Republicans nationally and went against the party platform without consulting those members the 168 members of the Republican National Committee. I think that's pretty unprecedented. All
0: right, you've laid out several things there, Chad. Let me uh, unpack a few of those things for our listeners. You talked about uh, Virginia and the policies there that voters rejected, which, let me be very specific so people know what we're talking about here. This was the gender confusion policies, the gender, the the pronoun um, yeah. policies that we're, we're going to be talking about actually in the next segment uh, with one of the teachers from Loudoun County. Uh, right. That policy, the, the uh, gender neutral bathrooms where we've actually had assaults take place, where biological boys wearing skirts raped girls in the, uh, the bathroom. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about that oftentimes comes along as a part of the LGBT agenda. Now, I'm not saying all of those that uh, that she's reached out to or she's hired and put on staff at the RNC advocate for those policies. But, Chad, can you really say that the door would not be open to this if those groups are a part of uh, a special initiative at the RNC?
5: Tony, uh, there's no doubt about it. That door has been, has been opened by the chairlady's uh, actions You know, I've been all over the state of Virginia. I run a 501c3 now, as you mentioned, and so I don't tell people who to vote for, even though, you know, my background's pretty hard to hide. But I heard repeatedly that maybe the blessing in COVID, Tony, was that parents got to see what their kids were learning and what they weren't learning uh, from their school, from their public schools. And they were astonished. And the number one thing I heard was those things you mentioned, the extremist LGBT activities, the push by some of the public schools, the school districts, hiding those rapes, just horrible stuff. And so all over the state of Virginia, I did pastor meetings this past eight or nine or 10 months just trying to motivate and activate the church. I think we had 312 churches that sent poll watchers, for example, and so we Mm -hmm. did... Dozens of meetings. And the number one thing I heard were those items that you mentioned that alarmed them greatly and made them come out and vote for the Republican candidates, not not just statewide, but the state House members that were up for election as well, Tony. So it's just surprising right after that big win in Virginia, she comes out and does this, like I said, without even asking the members.
0: Maybe she'll hire Terry McAuliffe as well to work at the RNC. Uh, In the memo she sent out yesterday in a follow-up, she said this initiative is part of a comprehensive outreach. We'll have strategic initiatives uh, for evangelicals, Catholics, Jewish, Hispanic, veterans, youth, black. I mean, you headed up the Faith Coalition, which has basically been shut down. This now is the only special coalition. Is this Pride Coalition? You
5: know, I guess that now, you know, there are people who are not pro-Second Amendment that probably vote Republican. Maybe we should start a coalition for them. Um, There are certainly some Planned Parenthood people who vote Republican. Maybe we should start a coalition for them. You know, the original idea of GOP faith was to run up the score in the evangelical circles. You and I both know... That the number one way to tell how somebody votes Republican is regular church attendance. And so GLP Faith, the idea of having a coalition there was to be intentional about reaching out to the pro life uh, evangelical. Uh, church going voters that were, that voted 81% for Donald Trump. It was a record and not that we needed or took or anything else got the credit, but there's no question in my mind, those people want to vote Republican. If right. you reach out and talk to them and setting up a coalition for everybody, it seems a little bit like a Democratic move to me, Tony, uh, you know, to cobble together all these special interest groups. Yep. You and I know that the number one uh, coalition.
0: And for Chad- Republicans- we got to leave it we got to leave it there out of time. We'll talk more about this later. Folks, stick with us. We're coming back after this.
6: What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious
7: Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app.
0: This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. I'm going to come back to uh, the RNC in my last segment because I've got some action items for you on that, so uh, stick around. But uh, right now, I want to stay on the education issue, zeroing in on Loudoun County, where the school district permanently removes its suspension of Tanner Cross as a lawsuit against the school district's transgender policy continues. Uh, joining me now to uh, to talk about... Uh, What is happening there in Loudoun County and the school district's policy 8040, our friends at the Lions Defending Freedom, uh, have been at the forefront of that. And one of the attorneys leading that is uh, Tyson Langhofer. He is uh, with us. And his client, Loudoun County Public School teacher Monica Gill, uh, is here with us as well. Uh, Tyson, Monica, welcome to Washington Watch.
8: Thanks
0: for having us, Tony. Absolutely. Tyson, I want to ask you first, uh, before I go to Monica and her case, because Monica has joined the lawsuit with uh, Tanner regarding the uh, 840 policy and the pronoun usage and the bathroom usage. But you had a victory today in a settlement uh, with the Loudoun County School District. Tell us about it.
8: Sure. So after the uh, district court entered an injunction against uh, Loudoun County and reinstated Tanner, um, and then the Virginia Supreme Court affirmed that, the the school board has now agreed to make that injunction permanent. So now they are permanently stopped from punishing Tanner for anything he said about policy 8040 up to the time of the injunction, and they also are required to remove any um, uh, evidence of that suspension from his personnel file and then, and then pay us uh, $20,000 in attorney's fees. So it's really a complete victory uh, for Tanner and, frankly, for all teachers, uh, freedom of uh, speech and religion to comment on really important policy issues that are being considered by their school boards.
0: Yeah, once again, though, a victory that you could not have achieved had Tanner not been willing to stand up and uh, and face the opposition and so that's why it's so important that we have teachers like uh Tanner and Monica who joins us who are willing to uh, to stand up and fight this government overreach. Monica, uh thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, let me ask you this question first, why did you decide to join ADF's lawsuit against this uh, transgender policy?
9: Thank you for having me. Well, I think, you know, the big issue is that I've been questioning a lot of what our school board has been doing for a while now. They've been pursuing policies that are ideological. They're not educational. I had my eye on policy 8040 for, uh, for a while as they were considering it. And when they passed it, of course, that was a concern. Um, I had some concerns back when Peter Vleming was, um, was fired for the same issue. And uh, then when they put Tanner Cross on leave, I knew that that would put me in danger as well. So um, I wanted to join the case because this is, this is a bigger issue. It's not just about my free speech rights. It's also about these kids and the harm that the policy is doing to them. So it's, it's all-encompassing.
0: Well, and I would think that since you've joined the case and, of course, the settlement today, but there has been uh, issues that have come to light Uh, over the last couple of months that this policy has actually led to physical harm of students in the school district. Is that changing some people's minds about this policy?
9: I'm not sure that it's changing any of the school board's mind about the policy. They seem to be sticking pretty firm, but I think parents are even more um geared up now in understanding the harm that this policy is doing and and really that's what this movement has been about it's about parents who have concerns about their kids and um you know so this is something that they really are fiercely fighting about uh and fighting against because their kids are their most valuable treasure
0: right uh, Tyson, uh, give us kind of the time frame here of when you expect something to happen with this lawsuit against policy 8040.
8: Well, we had our hearing yesterday um, in front of uh, Judge Plowman in, in Loud County, and we asked him to enter an injunction uh, stopping the school from enforcing policy 8040 to force teachers like Monica, Kevin, Tanner um, from using pronouns with students that are not uh, consistent with their biological sex, and the the court took that under advisement and indicated that he would issue a ruling on that uh, sometime after Thanksgiving, but probably prior to Christmas. So we're, we're looking at several weeks out um, and, and hoping that the court, um, you know, continues to protect um, teachers' rights and protect the right for them to um, uh, not speak messages that would be
0: harmful to their students. Right. Right. Uh, Monica, final question for you. And and thank you again for not only coming on today, but for being in the classroom and being willing to to stand up for truth, biological truth, science, whatever you want to call it. Um, What have you heard from some of your uh, fellow teachers? Uh, what, What do you think about what's happening?
9: Well, there's a lot of concern. There's a lot of chatter in the teacher workrooms, particularly about the most recent events with the assaults. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of concern. I have had a lot of quiet support from many of my colleagues saying, you know, you're doing the right thing. We appreciate you. But there is a lot of fear from them as well about really being bold and speaking out because they saw what happened to Tanner and You know, there's hesitation, Uh, but I know that there's a lot of prayer, um, you know, from them for us on our behalf and a a lot of support, quiet support, so I really appreciate that.
0: Well, Monica, we appreciate you coming on. Tyson, appreciate you and all the work that ADF does as well, and we'll continue to watch this uh, very closely and uh, prayerfully as uh, it is uh, hopefully resolved in a good way to the protection of teachers and their rights as well as the students and their well-being. Monica, thanks so much for being with us.
9: Thank you for having us.
0: All right, folks, I want to encourage you to stick with us. On the other side of the break, we're going to continue focusing on the issue of education. Actually, some new numbers out showing just how significant this issue was in the recent gubernatorial election there in Virginia. Also, this wokeness popping up elsewhere across the country. Meg Kilgannon joins me next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away.
10: Visit frc.org slash internships to apply.
0: Welcome back, everybody. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Jot that down. Got resources there for you. Okay, I want to go back before I bring in my next guest, Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies. Before I bring her in to talk about uh, Other educational issues, I want to go back and uh, kind of tie a bow on this conversation we're having with Chad Connolly about the RNC. I have in my hand the memo that was sent out to members of the RNC by the chair. Ronna McDaniel, and um, I'm just going to read some few things here from you uh, for you. Uh, This and I'm quoting. Okay, so I'm quoting the RNC hiring this new staffer does not mean we're advocating for any policy or in our in RNC platform change on these issues. Now, we're talking about the Pride Coalition, member of the log cabin Republicans and, and others. As you know, the platform committee will meet at the Republican National Convention in 2024 to decide our platform. That committee is made up of members of each state and territory and elected at the local level. All right, a couple of things. I've been a part of that for years. I've been on the platform committee multiple times. And in fact, the last three platforms I've had a significant part. In writing them, but when I say that, the platform actually already shows up written by the RNC. The RNC writes it and then you have a a convention where members, two from each state, a male and a female go. And I, I guess that'll stay the same. I don't know. That may, that policy might change, uh, where they don't do male and female anymore. I don't know. But the, then we have to amend it it 's a legislative process. You have to offer amendments to change it, so it 's not like you have a clean slate you You have a high hill to climb sometimes based upon what they give you and we 've had to work diligently but here 's something i 've learned in my quarter of a century in politics is that personnel is policy. We saw this in the Trump administration you know. President Trump put good people in place, and guess what happened? We got good policy. Now, he didn't do that initially. The first year, he was a little slow getting started, had some bad uh, rhinos, and we got rhino policy. If you're putting people who are advocating for an agenda that goes along with the LGBT agenda, like we saw, like we are just talking about gender-neutral bathrooms, pronouns, all this crazy nonsense, guess what? It's going to be reflected in your policy. It goes on. The memo goes on to say, quote, and it certainly doesn't mean we're trying to make any changes to the core values of our party. We are actively committed to fighting the radical left on cultural culture issues and standing up for religious liberty, family values and Republicans of faith. Well, you know what? Your actions have to match your words. I'm just going to tell you uh, I've. There have been times, there have been, there have been leaders at the RNC that I've worked very closely with. Uh, the previous, uh, Reince Priebus was was good, worked very closely with all elements of the conservative movement and worked with us on the platform, uh, was sensitive to the issues that we raised. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not going to give a single penny to the Republican National Committee if they're hiring people that are advancing a pride agenda. That's foolish. I, I I tell you what, if you get a call from the RNC and their fundraising arm, and they ask you to make a donation, tell them, just say, sorry, call the pride division. Get your money there, uh, because I'm not giving you one red cent. It's the way I feel. And we'll see if the RNC responds to the concerns that are being raised. By the way, Go to Tony if you'd like to weigh in on this and you can communicate with your RNC officials and ask him, what the heck is going on? I mean, what are you, Democrat light? We already have one poli- one party that's pursuing these policies. Why would you? Insane. Speaking of these policies. A, a new poll by coefficient, a polling firm, I think out of Kansas. Taking a look, a survey, post-election survey in Virginia, while jobs, and I'm I'm quoting from their their piece, while jobs and the economy registered as the most important issue among all voters, education and critical race theory were cited as having the biggest impact on your vote among the largest segment of voters. Governor Terry McAuliffe's statement on parental involvement in schools at the September 28 debate was also a significant factor for voters. Here's the numbers. Fifty four percent of voters said McCullough's statement was a factor in their vote. Sixty four percent of voters deciding in the last month said it was a factor, including 50 percent who said it was a very significant factor. Listen to this. Eighty one percent of voters deciding in the last week said it was a factor in their vote. Voters who viewed this statement as significant broke for Youngkin, 88 to 11. I cannot remember in my time and politics where education has been a good issue for Republicans. It's because of how radical the Democrats have become, how radical the left has become, to my point, and why you see the RNC going down the same path. Mind boggling. Here to talk more about what is happening in education, Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to the program.
11: Thanks. It's great to be back.
0: OK, so I just went over some of these numbers. This issue of education was huge in Virginia.
11: Yes, it really was. And I we we had uh, some election reforms that were put in place by the Democrat controlled House of Delegates and signed by our Democrat governor. Uh, I wonder if we hadn't had so long a session of early voting and if things weren't so polarized, I wonder how many more voters would have broken for Yunkin at the end. I mean, I wonder how many early or, voters yeah. regretted their vote. Um, yeah, and I wish they I, could I, have I changed it in the end.
0: I thought the same thing. That is one of the dangers of the early voting is that, uh, you know, people really aren't paying a whole lot of attention. And you get the barrage of information at the end, and you see the pressure building. And you're right, this was one of the last debates that uh, this statement come, came out. And then, of course, it got lift over the uh, the following weeks. So I thought the same thing. But fortunately, there there weren't as many people who early voted in this year's election as they did last year.
11: Right. Thanks to the, the, the pandemic reforms from last year, reforms, quote unquote. Yes. Yeah, so we're we're the election issue is is really um, been the gift that keeps on giving to Republicans because the Democrats can't seem to stop tripping over themselves and making these unforced errors, like saying that they don't think parents should have anything to do with children's education. Right. Who would think?
0: Yeah. And and here's the other thing is that, um, you know, we're talking about election reform and all the the craziness happening in the elections. This is this is an example of why we can't get discouraged and say, oh, it's rigged and we're not going to be able to do it. We actually engaged in the early voting, the ballot collection, which was made legal in Virginia. If the left was going to do it, we were going to use it. If we use it effectively, they'll, (laughs) they'll quit using it. But we had churches collecting ballots in the churches. Uh, And every little bit made a difference. And, of course, this was the issue. Now, speaking of this issue, we're seeing stuff pop up elsewhere with this same crazy wokeness agenda. I mean, we've got a uh, in New Hampshire, a high school uh, student suspended from a football game for allegedly expressing his views that there are only two genders. I mean, since when do you get in trouble for telling the truth?
11: Well, and since when does a conversation you have with friends on a school bus on the way home turn into uh, getting suspended from the from the, the football game or anything in school? This is well, the, in
0: 1984.
11: Right, right. This is the. The anti-bias agenda, quote unquote, where they they are turning kids into um, activists, and they're setting up these programs where you can fill out a bias incident report on the website at your school, and you can do so anonymously. I don't know if that's the case at this school in in New Hampshire, but these are the kinds of things that parents are see happening in schools across the country that make them think. So, what, what, is going what do they on? do?
0: They get. Do they get a brown shirt when they do that? <laughs> I mean, we that, I mean that's essentially what we're doing. I mean, we're, we're turning these kids into snitches for, you know, for big government. Well, and, and first you it's speak, your
11: friend on the school bus, and then it's your parents, right?
0: Right. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is where you start turning children against their parents and having them report on what their parents say. But this is not, again, these are not isolated incidents. Uh, you go over to Connecticut where elementary school te- uh, students in West Hartford, uh, Hartford, Connecticut, are being forced to undergo social-emotional learning through equity lenses, and of course, there they have a uh, director of equity advancement that oversees this whole agenda.
11: Yes, and the social-emotional learning um, has been a red flag for family groups for a long time because these are areas that are formed in children by parents and families right and and we send kids to school to learn abc's and 1 2 3 not to, to learn about equity initiatives and and transgenderism but when the um, when the CARES relief money, the COVID relief money went into schools, they had a whole line item for social and emotional learning that they are funding. So with that amount of money going into school systems, you're going to see even more of these kinds of programs cropping up all over the country, even in places that you would never suspect. So parents really need to be vigilant in knowing what's going on in their child's school.
0: It's a, it's a really good point, Meg, because some may say, well, you know, I, I'm sure they, they learned a lesson after what happened in Virginia. I don't think so. I don't, see, I don't see them being apologetic at all. I don't see them even being ashamed. I don't see them being able to blush. I see them pushing forward with an even more radical agenda, as you said, with even more money to do it with.
11: Well, the the education establishment is in very much of its own bubble they 've been reading their own press releases and drinking all of their own concoctions in there, and they they have forgotten what what those of us who live in the real world uh, think and believe and want for children and families and so we we're really excited that so many school board members just so many school board candidates ran in the last cycle, and many of them won and uh, they 're going to be bringing a breath of fresh air and injecting. Uh, a worldview that is new to the system, unfortunately, but they're going to be injecting their worldview into a system that desperately needs another set of facts to operate from. So, Yeah,
0: and in just a minute, I'm going to get you to to, to let our viewers know about a special event coming up Friday that they can participate in, but I I just want to provide a little more color commentary, um, G-rated, for... (laughs) Uh, this curriculum that's in these schools. I mean, the, the, this is uh, out of, uh, again, this is just one report and it's not, these are not isolated. It's happening elsewhere. As you said, it's happening in places you would least uh, suspect it, but lessons uh, through this social justice uh, show, social equity lessons are supposed to teach students in kindergarten, kindergarten. I mean, this is when they're learning how to tie their shoes uh, through fifth grade about social justice standards. Now, That sounds okay, you know, social, I think. I mean, you could make that be okay, but this includes identity, diversity, justice, and action. So we're teaching kindergarten students, first graders, how to be activists on these radical left policies. I mean, we're literally sending our kids off to these schools funded with our tax dollars for them to be, be turned into activists that will work counter to the parents and the values that we're trying to instill in our own children.
11: Unfortunately, that's the case. And the, uh, you know, the the books that they're using to teach these social-emotional learning lessons, um, they're picture books with, you know, a gender non-conforming uh, children, uh, you know, in them, it's very confusing for for five-year-olds. They're 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 putting adult problems onto children at a very young age, and it's political. These are political ideas, and this is the thing that parents don't want. They 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 don't want this in in school. They send kids to learn. Maybe season one, two, three is not about how to, you know, what your wardrobe choices should be. How is
0: this going to make us more competitive with China on the global economic stage? I I don't think it is, quite frankly. I
11: don't think it is either.
0: Okay. So this Friday, a special event coming up, online training, uh, still focus on this issue of education. Tell our listeners and viewers about it and how they can be a part of it.
11: Yes. So we're going to do a school board elections roundup, and we're going to have two panels. It's on Friday, November 19th at one o'clock Eastern. And the first panel will be groups, parent groups and PACs, political action committees that engaged at the school board level in terms of organizing and advancing candidates. I'm funding candidates we're going to hear from those groups and and um, how they feel like this this election cycle went and what they're going to be doing next time in twenty twenty two and then um, we're going to hear from candidates we're going to hear from three candidates who won and I'm trying to get someone who lost to join us too because there are many lessons in in um running race. the problem a race is we can't losing. we can't find many that lost. <laughs> well a lot did win, it's true. You're, it's because very true. so
0: many won. This was a great cycle for those who were willing to step into and the arena.
11: The stories are just fantastic. Tony, the fun, I have such a wonderful job. I love my job because this this last week I've been talking to these candidates all across the country that won their races and and they They are just the kind of people that you would hope would run and win. They're people who've run small businesses. They're people who have a background in accounting and who wondered to themselves, gee, do I really have anything to offer the school board? But then, as one woman said today, I started watching the meetings, and I said to myself, gee, I can do better than that.
0: All right, very (laughs) quickly, we're almost out of time. How can people find out more about it?
11: Go to frcaction.org schools. You'll find a link there um, to, to sign up for the webinar. And we would love to see you on Friday. And if you can't be there Friday, uh, we'll post the, the event at that s- site soon.
0: All right. Very good, Meg. Always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. And, folks, thank you for joining us as well. And be sure and participate in that. Check out all the resources at TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, founder of Ephesians 6,